yeah, there's sin and not sin. But remember, sin's not the issue anymore. That's been taken care of. I'm a follower of Jesus. It's the most important thing in my life. The most healing, healthy thing for the human brain is a belief in God and prayer. Hi again. Hope you're doing great today. Ready to take the next step? I am. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, church, religion, spirituality, uh, nature, some things like that. And, and to me, it starts with this question. Do you want the absolute best life possible for yourself, your children, your spouse, significant other, siblings, parents, friends, people at work, neighbors. Do you want that? Your best life possible? Or do you not? Seems like a silly question, right? How many people answer, no, I don't want my best life. <laughs> I want my worst life. I want a cruddy life. I want a miserable life. I want a... The answer is no one. At least no one I've ever talked to, unless they were joking or just trying to be ornery. Everyone wants their best possible life. And you know, it's interesting to me that um, in the Bible, in Scripture, it talks about that. And it, it even talks about how we get that. And it's not by our willpower, right? Uh, in fact, I don't think anyone can do it by their willpower. But listen to this. Uh, this is from uh, Ephesians 3 in the Bible, starting at verse 14. Let's see, where do I want to start? Let's start with verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being or heart so that Jesus may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, not fear, love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus Christ. And to know, and by, by the way, this word know is the same word in its root as a husband knowing his wife on their wedding night. Okay? So that you may know with passion, feeling, experience this love that surpasses knowledge. 
Mm, the love that surpasses knowledge. We try to use knowledge and logic to get what we want in life. And this is saying the key to getting what you want is not knowledge. It's love in your heart that is beyond knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of life. And listen to this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Okay, so let's start at the end. Do you want a life that is so fabulously off the chart, it is literally beyond what you can imagine? Now, maybe not in your fantasy imagination, but in your this is something that could really happen for me imagination. How would you like that life? Man, that's the one I want. That's the one I want for Harry and George and Hope and, and you, okay? Beyond the life, beyond imagination that has, that where you are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Love, joy, peace, health, happiness, success. Because God also says in another place, I would that you be in all good health and prosper. Okay? So that's God's will for us as well. Okay? So to have that, beyond what I can imagine, all the fullness of love and God and life, what has to happen for me to get that? The love of Jesus in my heart. Or you might just say, love in my heart that comes from God and Jesus. Okay? So, according to God, that is how you can have your absolute best life. The best life possible for you, for your children. That, that's it. Okay. Well, how, how do we get the love of God in our heart? And, and, and what is... What does that paradigm look like? Let's take a look at that for a minute. I'm going to rearrange the furniture here. All right, let me make sure you can see this. Okay. I was raised in... Let me see if I've got a black marker here. I was raised in this system. Okay, I was raised in this system. If I do something good, I get a check mark. If I do something bad, I get an X mark. Okay, or you might think from the Bible, sin. All, the, all sin really means is missing the mark. 
It's not some great big horrible, you know, um, word. It means missing the mark, to mess up, okay? So this is the system I grew up in. And so how I felt about myself tended to be determined by how many check marks did I have compared to X marks. In other words, what's my ratio of sin versus not sinning or even doing good things, all right? And everyone, in my experience, has a percentage, okay? Meaning, okay, what percent of bad can I do because I can't do it perfect and still be considered basically good? What percentage? Well, for me, it's, I think it's different for everybody, but for me, it was 90%. If I could do 90%, if I could have 90% 90, 90 check marks and only 10% X marks, then I could still feel good about me, meaning Alex is basically a good person and I feel self-worth and good identity and like I'm a significant person, which we all need, and probably I'm fairly secure, at least as far as this kind of stuff is go goes. I may be in a war zone, but at least as far as who and what I am as a person, I'm probably significant and secure, which are the two big, huge things everybody needs, all right? The problem is, my, my ratio is 90% good, 10% bad. What my chart actually looked like, basically to my whole life up until Hope kicked me out of the house at about 27 or 28, what it actually looked like for me was more like this. And in reality, I had about 90% bad to 10% good, at least the way I was looking at it. So how do you think I felt about myself? I felt like I was bad, like I didn't measure up, I wasn't good enough, okay? And this was the religious system I was brought up on, okay? If you do good, if you do good God will bless you. If you do bad, he will punish you. So it's really my choice, okay? Well, I tried to do it right as hard as I could, probably a hundred times by the time I was 28 years old. And ladies and gentlemen, I never one time was able to do it right enough at least for me in my mind. So I never remember feeling like I was a good person and really until I had a spiritual transformation after Hope kicked me out of the house at about 28 years old. Okay, well, almost everyone I know grew up in this kind of system. And, and, and a, lot, a lot of times, this isn't even a religious system. That even people who are atheist and stuff have this same system. And it's like, okay, 
you know, you're supposed to pick up your clothes, you're supposed to wash your clothes, you're supposed to do these chores, you're not supposed to do this or this or this or this. They still have their own list. And they still live by, by basically this paradigm. It's just, in their mind, divorced from God or religion or, or even spirituality because they don't believe that exists. Okay. Um, any religion in the world I've ever found basically goes by this paradigm. Uh, in the last 19 years, I've been very active in the New Age world because of the healing mechanism that I've been the head of. Okay? And, and, and I, found those, I found people who call themselves New Age to by and large be much more loving, forgiving, open than so-called religious people or church people. And that's been very, very refreshing. But, the, but people who call themselves New Age, they have this paradigm too. Everyone I've ever talked to, at least. Now, they may say they don't, but in reality, they do. Okay? You know something really interesting about this? Is everybody's ratio is different. Okay? Hope's ratio, my wife, let me erase mine here. Okay, Hope's ratio, would you like to see Hope's ratio? Yes, I think you would. Hope's ratio looked like this. Honestly, this is what her ratio looked like. Now, in that paradigm, you would think, oh man, well she ha probably had great self-worth and identity and significance and security and no, hers was way worse than mine. She thought she was a way worse person than I, than I thought I was, okay? Only, look at this, she's almost perfect. Well, how could that be possible? It's possible because her ratio was a hundred percent. And so these one or two little tiny things means that's it for her, pretty much for life. Yeah, she could pray and believed intellectually God would forgive her, but she didn't feel forgiven and, and even years and years later still felt guilty about those things and that she was a bad person, not a good person. This is the law of nature. It's the way everything in the universe and, and on planet Earth works. Okay? It's called, it has other names. Reap what you sow. Stimulus response. Action reaction. Karma. It's really Newton's three, three laws of motion. Number one, a body in motion stays in motion. Number two, until something acts on it with enough power to change it. And number three, 
for every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. This is natural law, ladies and gentlemen. It's how everything on nature works. It's what we're used to. It's what makes most logical sense. Okay? And you can absolutely live this way, and this is what you'll get. And, and, and let me tell you what that is. Everyone has their own percentage. What I have found in 99.9% thousands of people that I've worked with over the last 30 years is that, yeah, everyone has a different percentage, but the one thing that you can almost guarantee is that their percentage will be higher than their checks and X's. Their percentage will be higher than their check marks. So if they have 95% check marks, their percentage is 96. If they have 50% check marks, their percentage is 60. I think, it, I, I think it's built into us that way. It's part of the fear that's tied to our survival mechanism. Okay? And that's how I lived the first 28 years of my life, even though at times I taught something different. I taught forgiveness and grace and all that, but it's not what I felt inside. And I found that to be pretty universal. Okay. Now, we started this, se this session, right, talking about do you really want your absolute best possible life and for those you care about, or do you not? And I believe everyone does. Even if they've given up hope they can achieve it, they still want it. Uh, even people who are suicidal want that. They just don't believe it's possible anymore. Okay, so they give up. Well, what if... There was another paradigm, another system of right and wrong, which is what this is. What if there was another system that looked very much the same, but its practical operation is completely different. Okay? In this system, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. Okay? What if in this system, you still have check marks, things you do good or right, however you want to look at that, and you still have X marks, things that you mess up on or are wrong or, or do wrong or it's an actual sin, okay? You've still got the same, basically the same things happening here as here. But what if in this system, if you do good, you get good, just like this system of right and wrong, but in this system of right and wrong, 
if you do bad, you still get good. At least long term. And every single time. Maybe not short term, but every single time long term. Well, which would you choose? Well, everybody would choose this one. Because basically we're saying in this one, you get good no matter what. It's not dependent on your doing good things or your mess-ups or sins. It's not dependent on that. You're in a paradigm where that's all been taken care of. You get good no matter what. I don't know about you, but as a parent, you know, if, um, if an angel or some person who convinced me they were credible had, had come to me on the, birth, on the birth day of Harry and George and said, Hey, Alex, I'll make you a deal, but one day only, the day they were born only, for today only, I'll make you a deal where if Harry does good, he gets good. But also, if he does bad, he will get good. In other words, he'll get good no matter what. As a father, what would I be willing to pay for that? Or for George? And my answer is... I'd pay anything to have them under that system instead of this one. I'd, I'd give my arm, I'd give my leg, I'd give all the money I have, I'd give my house, I'd give my life for them to have that. Because I love them. And love will always choose grace for the object of their love and themselves. Always. 100% of the time. Fear, selfishness, would frequently choose not grace, but law for the object of anger or hatred or unforgiveness. They want them to be punished for that bad thing that, or perceived bad thing. They want them to hurt. They want them to suffer. But love would always choose grace 100% of the time. All right, let me switch gears here. Sit down a second. Um, I've got a very good friend, and um, we kind of grew up together, not every day, but uh, a number of times a year, and I always liked him. His name's Todd, and um, first, uh, the first church where I did full-time ministry, Todd was my intern, so he was a few years younger than me, and many years later, 
after I was out of ministry and, and doing other things, I went back and found Todd, came to Nashville to find Todd, because I wanted to apologize to him for some things that I had done when we were working together and ask him to forgive me, which he very graciously did. And uh, we kind of rekindled our friendship and did a bunch of stuff together. Our families did stuff together and stuff like that. And um, Todd told me a story one time that has impacted my life um, about as much as any story I've ever heard, any, any you know, of this world, earthly kind of story. Um, and this is it. He was, Todd was called for, um, I think, a year or two. Felt like he was supposed to be a street preacher on... Uh, Murfreesboro Road, a great big street in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, not the kind of preacher that bangs you over the head with the Bible, but the kind of preacher that um, just loves you to death. Okay? Right where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what color your skin is, no matter what you believe, um, just loves you. Okay? Which is what I think... um, ministry really is supposed to be. But anyway, he was telling me that his favorite thing to do, or one of his favorite things to do, was to go into bars and have a beer with the local prostitutes. Okay? And uh, he shared um, why. Why it was one of his favorite things to do. And and he told me basically what he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I think I'm pretty close. He would ask them um, a question after getting to know each other just a little bit. Hi, I'm Todd, and I live over here, and I'm, you know. And then they would, Hi, I'm Cindy, and I live over there, and blah blah blah. After that, when the time was right, he would ask them a question. The question was, Did you know? that there will not be one person in hell, whatever hell is, because of sin? Did you know that? And, um, and I mean, just to close your eyes and imagine that scenario. It's pretty remarkable. And he said they would go through some, uh, some pretty predictable stages after he asked that question. Uh, the first one was usually anger. Uh, they thought, he knows I'm a prostitute and he's messing with me. He's having fun with me. He's poking me with a stick. After he convinced them that wasn't true, which, which may take, you know, one conversation or months, okay, But after he convinced them that wasn't true, then very often what they would experience was this can't be true. No way this can be true. This guy's, he's not messing with me, but he's just wrong. Okay? He's telling me about that system where I get good no matter what. I mean, that doesn't exist. He's just wrong. And then after a period of time, they would very often come to a place where they broke. 
And their reaction was something like, Oh my God. You mean there's hope for me? You mean my life isn't over? You mean I might could be an actual human being person? You mean my children might... Imagine the repercussions that could have for their children, which a lot of them had. And then many of them would decide they wanted to live their life a different way. Another question that they would a lot of times come back and ask him, and now they're probably friends, was, well, I have a child, or, or maybe two, that I love to death. I mean, they're the love of my life, and I have to support them and buy food and clothing and shelter. And, and, and right now, the only way I know how to do that is prostitution. So does this mean I have to quit being a prostitute? You might find Todd's answer interesting. No, it doesn't. And he would explain that whatever hell is, the only people who will be in hell are the people who do not accept the love of God. That the sin, the mess-ups, the X marks, they've all been taken care of. They've been paid for, and they're paid for in advance. The one you do tomorrow is already paid for. The one you do in 10 years is already paid for. If you are choosing the path of love and in right relationship with Jesus and God. Okay, that's what I believe. So he would tell them, it's not about the sin anymore. It's accepting the love of God. So the only people in hell are those that are not willing to accept the love of God. And if you do, then yes, you do good, you get good, you do bad, you still get good. Now, some of you are really, that's really going to challenge. Some of you, that might make you furious, thinking that I am um, violating and going against um, Scripture. I, I don't believe I am. I believe that's uh, why Paul, when he was trying to explain grace, they basically ask him that same question that the prostitutes asked Todd. He explained grace to them through Jesus, and, and you can just see them scratching their head, and it just doesn't compute. Okay, And they say, well, wait a minute. If what you're saying is true, then we could just sin more. And it would all still be forgiven and we would still get good. And Paul's answer, yeah, you're right. That's true. But if you do that, if you do have a loving relationship with yourself, others, God, Jesus, 
and choose to do wrong, knowing it's wrong, believing it's wrong, you're not understanding the love and the grace. Because once you feel that, believe it, live it, commit to it, understand it, implement it every day in your life, you want you will no longer want to do those things. Your wants will change. And it's the only thing I know that can change your have-tos into want-tos. Okay. Um, as I grew older, especially after... Um, Hope had kicked me out of the house, and now we were back together again, and we were happier than we'd ever been, and uh, things were just so wonderful, and, and they're wonderful today, okay? But all this time, we're going to church, okay? And pretty much in the religion that we grew up in. And there were lots of wonderful people involved with that. I'm not, let, let me make one thing clear. I am not against religion. I am 100% for religion and church as long as it's church God's way, not man's way. Religion God's way, not man's way. Okay? The eight churches I worked with over 12 years, all eight of them split. And it was not about the love of God and Jesus. It was about power, control, money, church politics, things like that. That is not church God's way. That is not religion God's way. All right? What, what, is, what is that, by the way? Let's take a look. Um, James 1, verse 27, starting in 27. Um, Religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Here it is. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So it's to act and live in love. Okay? Instead of allowing other people to instill fear in me, I am plugging into everybody I can to give them a download of love. Okay? We all kind of, I meant to bring my little uh, um, USB thing, uh, cord and adapter. That's really what we're doing all the time, is everywhere we go, we're plugging into people. Either to get something from them, or to give something to them, or whatever. And so often, what is transferred in our downloads is fear or anger or unforgiveness or sadness or anxiety or worry or, or you know a thousand other things when you commit to the path of love you're going around plugging into people and they're plugging into you and it's love downloads and their fear cannot download into me because I'm full of love if I'm doing it right okay but you see where Jesus puts pure and faultless religion, it's about loving people, people in need, people less fortunate, etc. Okay? Um, it's interesting. It doesn't say anywhere here, 
pure and faultless religion is having this kind of a building with this sort of a budget, with this sort of a, a, a worship schedule, you know, a prayer, three songs, a prayer, a message, a video presentation. A, no, that, that's not in here. He doesn't say that, okay? It's about loving and, and living in love and helping other people, putting other people equal to or better than myself. And, and by the way, if you think that that is maybe taken out of context or not completely right, um, let's take a look at the ultimate. When, when we all get to heaven, that's the name of the song I grew up on, but uh, when we all get to that end of life uh, transition, Okay, so what does God say about that? Let's take a look. This is in uh, Matthew 25, starting in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For... Because, here's why you're coming in. Here's why you won. Four, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will say, when? When did we see you? Well, we don't remember that. And he'll say, you did it when you did it to one of the least of these. What would be the least of these in our society? Prostitutes, street people, prisoners, people less fortunate, poor. So in both places, pure and faultless religion and the people that are invited in when the transition time comes, it's the same criteria. It's not about the name of the building that you went to on Sunday morning. It's not about um, how big your budget was. It's not about how many people were there. Um, I, I don't see anything in the conditions about gay or lesbian. I don't see anything in the conditions about so many of the things that in churches we label people for and shun them. Now, yes, there are things that are sin and there are things that are not sin. Meaning, God tells us in the instruction booklet, hey, this is how I built you and how you work best and don't malfunction. And if you go against these, you're going to have anxiety, fear, you're going to malfunction, you're going to, you know things aren't going to go, you're not going to have your best life, all right? Yeah, there's sin and not sin. But remember, sin's not the issue anymore. That's been taken care of. It's accepting the love and grace of God now in, in the form of Jesus and, and God's love, okay? That's the criteria. And then loving other people, predominantly those who need help and are less fortunate, and whether we live, choose, or try, because you'll never do it right, 
try to live in love instead of fear. I'm told that in this book, it says 365 times, fear not. One for every day. More than it says, more times than it says about anything else in that area. Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. So, we now live, I believe, in the grace system of right and wrong, where I get good long-term, no matter what, even if it's something painful in the short-term. And pure and faultless religion does not appear to be about the building or the schedule of worship or attendance or any of those things that we've made so vital to the point that we have really, I believe, gotten off track. Um, after Hope and I were reunited and uh, very happy and were choosing to live in love, um, we became, I guess I would say, um, we had more and more doubts about the church religion thing that we had grown up in and were going to at that time. And, and in fact, after a few years, we left that, okay? Um, and, and that was very, very difficult for us, okay? But I would say that Hope and I love each other more. We love our children more. We love God more. We have a better relationship with God. I, almost everything you can name than we did when we were trying to live under that legalistic right-wrong system. When you do good, you get good. When you do bad, you get bad. And checking our, you know, putting our time chart in every time we went to church, you know, ah, yeah, we did that right. We get a check mark for that. We would get an X mark if we didn't go. We quit living that. And um, I still believe in church. Uh, um, Hope and I both do, okay? But it does not look like it looked when we were growing up, okay? Um, a number of years ago, I came across... Um, well, l l let me go somewhere first. Um, after Hope kicked me out of the house, and uh, some of you know this story already, I'll make it quick. I was so confused and, and angry and felt hopeless. I didn't even know if I believed in God anymore. I didn't even know if there was a God. And over about four or five weeks, I started studying every religious text, uh, probably what you would call New Age, atheism, all kinds of stuff, okay? Trying to figure out what's the truth, okay? Just because you believe something doesn't mean it's true. Remember the belief perseverance thing, okay? About 50%, according to the studies of what we believe from our memories, is wrong. It, it, that's an illusion, not reality, okay? We want to live reality, or at least I do, 
okay? So during that six-week period, a friend of mine invited me to go to Middle Tennessee State University one evening and hear a guest lecturer. And the guest lecturer was, uh, his name was John Clayton. And his story was that he was literally a rocket scientist at NASA and an atheist. And he had gone about to prove by nothing but science and mathematics that religion, church, God, Jesus, was the biggest fraud ever perpetrated on mankind. And once and for all, literally prove that it's impossible that there's a God. Okay, so he took all the variables and he, sh he put up slide after slide after slide after slide all night long showing all these mathematical equations that I didn't understand. But anyway, the basis of it is, you know, the earth is exactly the right distance from the sun. If we were any closer, we'd be burned up. If we were any further away, we would freeze. The earth is rotating at exactly the right rate. If it was rotating any faster, we'd be thrown off. If it was rotating any less, we would be sucked into the earth and killed. And there's a thousand of those variables that all thousand of them had to happen for us to be here with our intelligence and the way our body and immune systems work and all the animals and, and nature and grass and uh, sunshine and plants and, you know, for all of this to be here, all of these things had to happen. So if the odds in, in, in his presentation, he... Uh, what he did with every one of the variables was, let, let's say, the, the, the uh, chances of that just happening by chance, the odds of that just happening by chance, the earth being the correct distance from the sun, let's say the odds of that were, you know, one in a hundred, okay? It was way more than that, I promise you, but let, let's just use that as an example. He would use one in ten, once this was all over, because he wanted to go on every single thing to the conservative side, not the liberal, all right? When he did the numbers exactly as they were and added them all up, it came up with a number that even in mathematics and science is considered to be impossible. It can't even happen one time. It's not even possible. It is impossible, all right? for us and the earth and everything else to be here. Well, even when he, if the odds were one in a hundred, even when he took on every variable one in ten instead of one in a hundred, or one in a hundred instead of one in a thousand, or whatever it was, even then the, uh, the mathematical number was way beyond the scientific number for something being one time possible. Meaning, it was still impossible. Even just taking a fraction of the odds for every variable. He illustrated it this way at the end of the night. He, uh, he took out a, a, a pocket watch. You know, one of those big old-timey pocket watches that you wind up. I meant to have one here with me today. I have my grandfather's, but I forgot it. But anyway, he showed it and he said, I don't remember. He said, this watch has like 125 
separate parts. That's not right, but it was something like that. He said, let me paint you a picture. Let's say I took this watch apart, all 125 parts, taking all those little screws, all those little springs, everything, taking it all apart and putting it all in a big uh, paper grocery bag. Okay? And then I went to the top of Mount Everest, rolled up the end of the paper bag, shook it up vigorously with all those 125 parts bouncing around inside, and then after shaking it up, unrolling the top, grabbing the bag by the bottom, and slinging those parts 360 degrees around Mount Everest just whenever they fell and wherever they fell. Some of them fell five feet away. Some of them went over a cliff and are hundreds of feet down. Okay, you got that picture? Then he said, what do you think the odds are that if I came back to the top of Mount Everest and exactly 100 years to the hour what do you think the odds would be that that watch would be put back together perfectly, running, and on the exact correct time to the second on the peak of Mount Everest? What do you think the odds of that would be? <laughs> Pretty good picture, huh? Well, he said the odds of that happening are far, far, far greater than of all of this earth and us and the animals and the sunshine and the planet and the spin and the sun, than all of that happening so that we would have life on earth today as we have it. And then he said, so my question is, would you say it is possible, even one time in a trillion, that that watch would be together on the second accurate on the top of Mount Everest? Well, for me the answer was no. That is not even one time possible. No possible way. Well, the odds of that are far better than the odds of us just being here. He put all of that in a book called The Source. Um, this is out of print now. I've got two copies that I got from uh, a used bookstore that I found on the internet. But he, um, uh, he's old now. But he put all of that stuff, those statistics and everything, in the book so everyone could take a look at them and say, no, you figured wrong. Guess what? No one has ever said that. Because he figured right. So I came to believe, long story short, well, too long, but sorry, that there is a God. It's just that I had been believing lies about Him and about Jesus and about church. And let me go there for a couple minutes now. Um, a few years ago, I was um, referred to this book. It's called Pagan Christianity by uh, Frank Viola and George Barna. Uh, these two men are very highly regarded in Christendom. Uh, Frank Viola, I believe, was involved with the start of the house church movement in California and that spread 
Um, wonderful guy, best-selling author, uh, very popular, very highly regarded. George Barna has sort of been the gallop of Christendom, doing research and, and polling people to find out uh, different trends and what's happening in, in uh, the world today and, and all that sort of thing. So they teamed together to research and write this book. It's called Pagan Christianity. And basically in this book, what they do is they, they go back to see where things originated historically. So they take virtually every single thing that we call church and find out where it came from. Um, having a paid preacher, having a building, um, uh, singing uh, X number of songs, um, having worship where, you know, you basically sit passively most of the time and listen to someone else teaching, uh, where you spend lots and lots of money on a building and on salaries and on, well, um, you can check this out for yourself, but, but basically what they found is that Almost everything that we call church did not originate from the Jerusalem church or the New Testament. It originated from a pagan origin by men. And I'm not talking about um, the inspired men of Scripture. I'm talking about, it appears a lot of times, men and women who are... I might say, um, given or captive to power, control, church politics, um, the way we've always done it. Uh, remember the belief perseverance thing about, you know, how we've always done church. We don't, maybe you don't even know why we believe it, but we believe it, okay? But that virtually all of those things came from a pagan origin, now, they make the point, and I want to make it too, that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. Remember uh, what the preacher said, God leaves it up to us. He tells us how to do almost nothing. It's up to us to be guided by love and the Holy Spirit and Scripture and in a way that works and is effective in our circumstances. Okay, and the Bible talks about that in relation to like new and old wineskins. You don't put new wine into old wineskins. Most people consider those wineskins are like the circumstances or culture of the time. Okay, so, you know, we're directed by love. And, and in fact, uh, I believe it's Romans 1, maybe 2. Uh, I, and by the way, this is really important. I am not a biblical scholar, and I do not claim to be one iota. Uh, my undergraduate uh, major was ministry, speech, and Bible, okay? But I am not a scholar and, and do not at all claim to be. So please do not believe anything I say just because I say it. But let it challenge you and go search for yourself, pray for yourself, go ask uh, other people 
for yourself, okay? Because your, your happiness, your health, your life, your salvation, your everything is between you and God. Not you and the preacher and God. It's, it's you and God. That veil of the temple was torn in two. We now have a direct relationship with God and Jesus, not just through a preacher or priest or whoever. Okay, but back on track now. I'm not saying the way I grew up doing church or you're doing church now or whatever your picture of that is. I'm not saying that's wrong, okay, because it's pretty much left up to us. But what is wrong is forcing that paradigm or that way of doing it or that belief on someone else when that does not really come from Scripture. It either comes from a person or it can even be a misinterpretation of Scripture. Okay? Let me go a couple of places, then I'm going to wrap this up. Um, I believe it's either Romans 1 or 2. talks about, for those who've not heard the gospel, they will be judged by how they obey the gospel that is written, the, the law that is written on their heart, not the gospel, the law that is written on their heart, which is their conscience. So the Bible calls your conscience the law that is written on your heart. And in that passage, it's pretty clear none of us can do that right. Okay? We all mess that up. All right? But we do have a law, I would say a law of love, that is written on our conscience in our heart. Okay? And so I think anytime we are violating our conscience uh, unless it's because uh, of an old way of doing something that's just based on we've always done it this way, okay? Now, that could, that could seem like it's violating your conscience. I don't think that's what it is, but it might seem like that. But that's, that's one of the guides we have of how to do things is do not violate your conscience and tap in to that I would say your conscience in your heart, your love compass to help guide you in those kind of things, okay? And then, and then also um, Scripture itself, the leading of the Holy Spirit, all of that. Wiser people than you, getting multiple opinions, etc. All right? Um, I believe it's also either Romans 1 or 2. The Bible says, if you look at nature, that no one is without an, it, no one has an excuse for not coming to this law of love, this path of love, choosing love, right relationship with God through His Son Jesus. That no one has an excuse for that because everywhere you look in nature, you see God. And to me, that's exactly what John Clayton was saying in his scientific and mathematical calculations is that when you look at all this stuff, 
There's only one conclusion. There has to be a God. There has to be a supreme being. Why? Because us being here with who we are, with the way the earth and the, and the universe works, animals, grass, sunlight, everything, the way it works is an undoubted miracle. Well, if there's no supreme being, no higher power, no, then there's no miracles, right? A lot of people don't know that Darwin's Origin of Species, you know, his classic about evolution, it doesn't start with nothing. It starts with life already being there in the, in, the, in the puddle of goo. Life was already there. It had been struck by lightning or something, but life was already there. He doesn't explain how life can come from no life. Well, I think the reason he doesn't, I think he would have loved to, I think the reason he doesn't is there's only one explanation. It's a miracle. Well, here's how I look at that. You think about it, pray about it, and look at it the way it makes sense to you. But here's how I look at that. There's one system that says there are no miracles. Everything is natural selection, evolution. I mean, it might be uh, a long odds, but it all happens naturally, some way, somehow. There's a logical explanation. All right? And that's also the system of if I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. I mean, that's Newton's three laws of motion. Those are the laws of our physical, natural, mechanical universe, body, all of that. All right? The other system, I'll say the God system, presupposes that there's a higher power who can do miracles. Well, that's really important to me because I've not seen any logical explanation anywhere of how we and all of this stuff got here without a miracle. I've never seen that. Okay? So, if the best explanation is a miracle then the paradigm that presupposes miracles and a higher power who can do those miracles, to me, logically makes more sense. Plus, and this is really the most important, I have felt and experienced the love of God and still do regularly. And you know what? When someone's experienced something, you just try to tell them it's not true. Um, I, I, I've done this a number of times. Um, and, I, and, I, and by the way, I've had some wonderful, wonderful conversations with atheists that were kind, loving, considerate of integrity, and that I and, and I, I still love doing that. Okay, um, 
But one question I always get around to is, do you love anybody? Does anybody love you? Pretty important question to me because our brains are wired for either love or fear. If we, if we um, function in love, we work correctly. If we function in fear, we start to malfunction and end up with illness, disease, uh, depression, anxiety, failure, unhappiness, okay? So have you ever loved anybody? Does anybody love you? And without exception, I get, oh yeah, of course. All right, next question. Prove it. Empirically, with equations and math and science and that cannot be disputed, prove it. Well, they can't. You can't. I can't. You know, in, in natural selection, evolution, love does not make sense. It's called survival of the fittest, right? I'm going to get what I want and need, even if it means having to get it from you or, or get it before you or take it away from you or whatever, all right? I mean, that's that's what the whole system is predicated on, all right? Well, that's not love, that's fear. The other name for the fight or flight response or your survival response is the fear response, okay? And it's, you know, let me save me, get for me, get the results that I want. With love, you have to give up the results you think you want. And most people have trouble doing that. I believe through these principles, I can teach you how you can do that. So, um, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me, that I'm against how anyone is doing church or religion. There may be some that if we were talking individually, specifically, after I got all the details would say, yes, I don't agree with that because I believe it violates God's pure and faultless religion and the conditions for um, winning at the next transition. Okay? But I'm not saying that in general here about anyone or anything. I'm saying that what I'm for is living in love as best I can in the present moment, regardless of my circumstances and regardless of the end result, whether it's what I thought I wanted or not. And I can only do that to my best ability. I'll never do it perfect here, but I can only do it to my best ability when I'm empowered by God with his love and power because he is love. I do love sometimes. Sometimes I don't. I believe God is love. Okay, so I'm not 
against as much as I'm for a situation where people can be in right relationship with God, loving relationship with God, can worship Him in a way that not only fills their heart and is meaningful and purposeful to them, but is also in harmony with Scripture and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But again, we're told how to do almost nothing. Okay? I am for that. And from what I can gather, it does not have to be in any building with any certain name on it. Okay? And, and I've seen so many people who needed God and who needed Jesus and who needed love so desperately in their life and a, and a community to support them and encourage them, but they were turned off because of the church politics, money, power, control, and they said, well, that can't be right. I mean, I, I don't know what is right, maybe, but that can't be it, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, I've known thousands of people who had experienced that, okay? And, I, and I've got to be honest. Um, if I see, uh, or I, I know some of these people and have good relationships with them, but when I see someone who is driving a brand new Cadillac Escalade, living in a $2 million house, and wearing the latest designer clothes, all on the money that people give toward, I would say, God's pure and faultless religion to help people that need help. I've got a serious problem with that too. And, and, and I just can't help but feel and think that can't be the way it was intended for this person who supposedly is, has given their life to God and to ministry, but they're, ta they're taking money to live in luxury while people are starving and hungry and on the streets and dying and everything else. And um, that may offend some people, and I'm sorry, my intention is not to offend. But I am for church being a combination of uh, what we see in the Jerusalem church, which was them meeting together all kinds of times uh, for meals here and there in public places and homes. Uh, the first church building that we've discovered wasn't till, wasn't for hundreds of years later. Okay? Um, and they primarily met for a meal together. Okay, um, so I am for God's pure and faultless religion done in harmony with the Bible and Scripture, in harmony with the law written on my heart, my conscience, being led by the Holy Spirit, with people all praying to, to see what is a good way or the best way right now for us to do this, okay? 
And um, so that's what I want to start. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know. Uh, I don't have an agenda. I don't know the end result. I don't even know where we're starting yet. Okay. But I believe I'm supposed to start. Um, I know what I'm talking about is uh, controversial. I don't mean for it to be controversial. You know, they say controversy sells. I'm not doing it so that it will sell. Um, I've come to these things hard over years and years and years. A after Hope and I were back together and um, uh, I believe I kind of discovered um, the pure and faultless religion, the love of God and grace and the, the, the second plan of right and wrong where you do good no matter get good no matter what long term i went through about six months and hope hope will tell you this and i'm going to have her on later but i went through about six months where just about every night i woke up screaming and having night sweats and all that sort of thing and it's because i had that old paradigm of this is the way you have to do church or it's a sin and you'll go to hell. I had that so ingrained in me that it was almost like going through drug withdrawal or, or you know, someone who's been kidnapped that has to be kind of deprogrammed. And, and, and I do believe there are some churches that have a lot in common with cults, okay? And I, and I don't believe that was ever God's intention. So, um, let me end with this. Um, I got a phone call a few months ago from someone that I've known all my life that's a, a good bit older than me, but that grew up in the same town and was friend, and, and we all knew each other uh, for as long as I can remember, okay? For them, it's my whole life because they're older than me. But never been a crossword between us in all that time. Now, I hadn't talked to him much lately, but never been a crossword between us. And they called me um, a few months ago and um, sounded like they were under the influence of some chemical, which would explain it. But whatever was going on, they, ob they obviously wanted to hurt me. They wanted to hurt me. I don't know why, but they did. And the person said several things. First thing they said was, Alex, do you know that you were not wanted by your parents? Ugh! <laughs> uh, that hurt, okay? And, and by the way, yes, I did know, okay? My mom was told after she had my older brother uh, Mrs. Lloyd, don't ever get pregnant again. If you do, it will kill you physically. She had uh, a health, health condition with her uh, ovaries and, um, and all, that, all that sort of thing. And um, so they said, you know, do not get pregnant or you'll die. It'll kill you. So they took steps to not get pregnant, okay? And in fact, when she became aware she was pregnant, she was like, Wait, that's not possible for me to be pregnant, okay?
So yeah, they did not want another child because they knew mom would die if they had another child. So yeah, I knew I was not wanted in that respect. Now, once she was pregnant with me, she did want me. Even though I'm sure every day her feelings were all over the place, okay? But he said, did you know that you were not wanted? All right. Number two, do you know that I talked to your dad uh, a few years before he died and he told me he was disappointed with you? Ah! <laughs> and yes, I did know that. It's because I left the religion that I grew up in, okay? And then the third thing he said and this had been a guy who uh, went to church with us in this little 5,000-person town that I grew up in, in East Tennessee, called South Pittsburgh. But the, the third thing he said is, um, I have never believed all that religion stuff. I don't believe there's a God. I, I don't buy all that. And then he went on and said, in fact, if I had proof today that there was a God, I would choose to burn in hell. And I couldn't believe I heard that. And I, I, and I clarified, I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Did I hear you right? You're saying if you had absolute proof that there was a God, that like he appeared to you or something physically, you would choose to go to hell and not have anything to do with God or... And he said, yes, I would choose hell. Well, that conversation hurt me for a little while, but after I prayed about it a little bit, everything was fine. He didn't, you know, the last part was the only thing I didn't know. And I really thought about that and prayed about it, meditated about it for a long time. And then I completely understood that third comment. Because he grew up in that same legalistic religious thing that I did where my belief was God is just has this scowl on his face and is waiting for me to step out of line so he can whack me. So I completely understood him feeling that way. But here's what I want to end with today. That was never God. The things that made him say that and me feel it too, that was never God. That's, that's, uh, that's not in here. <laughs> that came from other sources. Power, money, control. Okay? So, I believe that a right relationship with God and Jesus and living in love is the only way to our best possible life and what we all want at the deepest part of our heart. It's just some of us have been, we have computer viruses from the way we grew up with things being done that way for hundreds of years. We didn't know where they came from, but it's the right way to do it because that's what mom and dad say and the preacher says. But it was never the right way to do it or the only right way. 
So anyway, I want to start something that is um, about love and joy and peace and freedom and um, living in love in the present moment and how you can do that and choosing the second system of right and wrong where you get good no matter what. And, um, and I believe that's possible. And I believe it is very needed today as people are leaving churches by the millions. And many say, I'm not leaving God. I, I, I still love God. I still want a relationship with Jesus. I, I just, that, that just seemed kind of like a, a country club or a game or a, or a you know, a, a corporation or something. Um, when in reality, I believe it should be more like a spiritual AA or MASH unit where everyone's welcome, everyone's loved just the way they are. Confidentiality, everyone shares, everyone trusts because we all know that we all can't do it right and we mess up all the time. And in, But the price has already been paid so I accept the love of God and am going to do my best with Him empowering me to live that way as best I can. Um, I plan on starting a nonprofit. I haven't got that set up yet. Uh, I'll tell you this though, if anyone ever gives a dime all 10 cents will go to helping people that need help. The pure and faultless religion kind of stuff. Not one penny will ever come to me or anyone else as far as I'm concerned. Anything we need done, websites or printing or writing or whatever, I'll either pay for it myself or the time to do it will be donated. But a hundred percent of whatever's given. I'm not asking you to give. I don't have it set up yet. We'll go to help people who need help, period. Um, and we're all equal. It's not me above you or you above me. We're all one. We're all together. We're all walking hand in hand, helping and encouraging each other. So um, I'm going to pause it here for this session. And then um, if you're still interested, I hope I haven't offended you. If I have, I'm so sorry. That was not my intention. I love you. Uh, I don't know who you are, but God does. If you're still interested, um, please go on to the next session. Or you can go to the first spiritual law if you want. But um, I do like for you to know where I'm coming from. And in the next section, I'm going to share a little bit about me and um, who I am, where I came from, because I always like knowing that about someone that um, I'm listening to or considering. So um, uh, see you in a little bit, and have a wonderful, blessed day.